When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody, it is Drag's Mike Petralia back with another episode of the Red Sox Beat on the CLNS Media Network. It is powered by our good friends and our exclusive online gaming partner, betonline.ag. Joining me on this mid-September Red Sox Beat, well, actually early September, September 6th qualifies as early September, is the one and only Ian Brown of RedSox.com, does a fabulous job and has since, I believe, 2002. Right, Ian. This is correct. Tracks. Twentieth year covering your Boston Red Sox. You can follow him on Twitter at Ian M Brown with an E at the end, all one word. He does a fabulous job. All right, Ian. This is not the season that a lot of Red Sox fans were hoping for uh, at the start. Uh, A lot of things did not go well. The health of the pitching staff, I would say, uh, top of that list in terms of factors that didn't go. Uh, in the favor of the ball club and, and Alex Cora. Your thoughts on what you think really led to the disappointing uh, end or actually the disappointing result of likely not making the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, the first thing is they got off to a terrible start. I mean, this team was just uh, completely dead the first, uh, you know, five weeks of the season. And then they set, they spent so much energy. They were nine games under 500 by uh by early may they spent so much uh, energy getting back and then getting back over 500 and having a great june and then uh you know i think they just get a little tired from that because they were playing with kind of like a playoff intensity there to get back in the race uh in the month of june and really the when when i look at the season though tracks and one thing i look at besides the injuries is that this bullpen was just never built right uh, like a winning team's bullpen. And every time I see the Red Sox play a good team, I'm like, wow, this team has one good reliever after another to throw at you. Uh, I saw it with the Rays yesterday. I saw it when they played the Braves. Um, I've seen it time and again. And this team, you know, they they did lose Tanner Houck in September, which hurt their bullpen, but they've just been too thin in that bullpen the entire season. And it was something we all questioned going into the year. You know, don't they want to do a little more uh, to upgrade yes. this bullpen? And it was a, a big mystery why Heimblum never um, addressed that. And then at the trading deadline, we're okay. Uh, you have to remember at the trade deadline, while they were they were still only one or two games back uh, in the wild card. Um, they actually I think they were three games back on the trade deadline. You're like, okay, here's a chance to upgrade the bullpen. And again, they didn't make any bullpen moves. And you've seen that play out time and again um, all year long. When the Red Sox have a close game, a low-scoring close game in the mid-innings, unless uh, Whitlock and Schreiber are available that day, they're probably going to lose because the, the rest of the middle relief uh, and late relief is just is just not good enough. So that, to me, I'll always remember this team for just not having a major league bullpen. You know, and, and Ryan Brazier is somebody that – you know, I, I look back, I believe it was the middle game of the series against the Twins uh, where they had a chance to hold on and he couldn't, he just fell apart in, in the eighth inning. 
gave up a grand slam. Grand slam, correct. And, you know, that is the kind of game where the Red Sox can't afford, that had no margin for error, and they had nobody to rely on in the bullpen. And, you know, you make an interesting point, Ian, about the trade deadline. And Eric Cosmer and Tommy Pham are very competent, good clubhouse guys, good guys to bring on your club at that time. But when the team had such other pressing priorities, it made no sense to me. And and I've had Alex Barth on this uh, podcast from 98.5, the Sports Hub, and I've told him this, and I've used this expression before. It's almost as if Heim Bloom made those deals in case the Red Sox made a run and made the playoffs. Right. Not- to, to spur them on to make a run in the playoffs. Yeah, and his defense on those two moves, you have to remember at the time he made those moves, the Red Sox lineup was extremely uh, banged up. They were without Trevor Kiki. Story. They were without Kike Hernandez. Right. Um, Rafael Devers was just coming back at the trade deadline. Um, J.D. Martinez hadn't been hitting. So he was just trying to give the offense some spark. Um, Fam has actually done a very nice job uh, for this yes. team. He's kind of stabilized the, the leadoff spot. And Hosmer was supposed to be their guy at first base because they haven't had – the first base situation was as bad as the bullpen. I mean, they had Bobby Dahlbeck and Franchi Cordero who just did not do the job really offensively or defensively right. at that spot. So Hosmer was going to stabilize that. Unfortunately, Trags, the guy uh, – he has a serious back injury like a week or two after he gets there. Uh, he has some uh, a, a serious disc issue in his back, so I'm not sure he's going to play again this season. So there went the stabilization they were seeking at, at first base. And, um, you know, now uh, we're going to get to this later, but now they're going to have Tristan Costas over there for the rest of the season. But, um, yeah, so they it's just – but, yeah, the trading deadline was very curious because they traded Christian Vasquez, which I think affected – the clubhouse for a couple of weeks, especially. I can imagine it did. Yeah, Xander Bogarts and Rafael Devers, who coincidentally or not, uh, both didn't hit a lick in August, and they were very good friends with with Christian Vasquez and Bogarts. I've never seen him so upset as I saw him that day after the Vasquez trade when he talked to us. He was just kind of distraught about it. Um, so I, I, you know, a lot of people still don't get that move. They got a couple prospects, but they're not. Ta- I mean, these guys like rounded out the top 30 in the Astros farm system. They got two pro they were like 29 and 30 in Houston's farm system. So maybe they hit on one of those guys and Christian's a free agent at the end of the year. But if they're going to add fam, they're going to add Hosmer, you know, why not just keep Vasquez? Because once Vasquez went, they figured, okay, now they're going to trade JD Martinez. Now they're going to trade Nathan Evaldi. And uh, they ended up keeping those guys. So it all led to a lot of confusion of like, you know, what 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 is the d- direction of this team right now? So before we move on to Tristan Cassis, who debuted in the uh, five to two win over the Rangers on Sunday at Fenway, I do want to get to what the Red Sox are going to do at the top of the rotation next year, because that is a massive, massive question mark. Chris Sale broke his wrist. You know, and the, and we thought after the the broken pinky, he he may not have come back anyway. Yeah, I mean, if he was going to come back, Drags, I think it's academic. Um, if he was going to come back, I think it only would have been in late September if they were in the race, right? And the way things have panned out, he would not have come back. But it was just the whole optics of the thing. You know, a bike accident on the hottest day of the summer. Um, this guy who just broke his pinky. So, um, you know, who knows about the bike accident? Nobody saw it. Who knows you know, what, what really you, happened there. Do you think he's going to be ready for 2023? 
Yes, I do think he's going to be ready for 2023, assuming he doesn't have any other setbacks. I mean, right now, he's just it's just broken bones. You know how it is, tracks of broken bones. They heal. You know, give them time and they heal. Um, his arm, the frustrating thing about this, Trags, was his arm was very built up this year. He spent his entire um, offseason playing long toss. He said he was having, like, he called it, like, Tarzan, like, long tosses with Nick Pavetta. And um, he was really throwing well um, when he came, when he did come back. And that first start in Tampa Bay, uh, he came back. It was the uh, second week in July, the Monday before the All-Star break. You're like, okay, this is going to play. I mean, this guy is its not going to be like last year when he's coming back from Tommy John and, he, you know, he's waiting for his arm. His arm was strong. And then in the second, the first inning of his second start for him to get that line drive off the pinky. I mean, this guy has just had – um, terrible luck, really, ever since he signed this five-year contract, which is kind of turned into some, kind of an albatross for this team. I mean, $150 million, and they've gotten not many starts from him. I mean, this season he ended up getting $15 million a start for the two starts he made. So he's got two years left on the contract, so you really like to see him salvage something um, out of this contract, but it's hard to know. Tracks, what you can you bank on him to be an ace next year? I he don't think so. But the full season since 2019, so I think that your best Red Sox team here is kind of building someone, um, you know, maybe adding someone in front of him. Um, you know, Michael Walker has pitched like an ace. This I season. was going to ask you about yeah. him and how much can you lean on Michael Walker at his age? to carry on into 2023. Yeah, you know, what the, you know what the funny thing about Michael Walker's tracks is that uh, everyone thinks this guy's like 35 or 36 uh, because he's been around so long. He's, he just yeah. turned 31. So he's still, you know, a pretty young guy. And it's, with him, it's just a matter of staying healthy. I mean, he, he had two stints on the uh, IL this year. So I don't think you can count on him as a 32-start, 200-inning uh, pitcher. The only guy that's this team can count on for innings right now as, as they're constructed right now is Nick Pavetta, but right. he's just not a consistent pitcher, but he may, he's, he makes every start, you know? Um, so that's one guy you could slot in and say, okay, we're going to get between 150 to hopefully 200 innings out of, uh, out of Nick Pavetta. But after that, there's a lot of questions in this rotation. You know, what are they, that's the age old question we've been asking for the last two years. What is the future of Howkin Whitlock? Are they starters? Or are they relievers? My personal feeling is that um, Hauk has really taken to this bullpen role. And I think they're just going to say, Tanner, you're our bullpen stopper. You're going to go to the bullpen. I think Whitlock, they're going to give him a shot to start. Um, and they're going to have to build, you know, not only do they have to build, this is going to be a big offseason for High Bloom. Yes. Not only do they have to build the rotation, they got to build the bullpen, man. They got to build a big time bullpen. And uh, just that that's what's killed them this year. Um, is the bullpen and just uh, the record against the American League East. I mean, they're they're 20 something games under 500 against AL East teams. I think they've won two series all season against AL East teams. So that's been, uh, they've been exposed in their own division. And the reason is obvious. It's because they don't have a bullpen. Um, The offense has underachieved at times. It's been very inconsistent when the Red Sox have played their best baseball. It's when they've been hitting because this team was really built around their offense uh, and the offense just hasn't been um, consistent enough. 
He is Ian Brown. He does a great job covering the Red Sox for MLB.com. Follow him on Twitter at Ian M. Brown. E at the end, all one word. Football is back, and Bet Online is your number one source for all of your football betting needs and sports info this season. Find all of the latest football odds, news, and game matchups, including this year's opening week's games, including this Thursday night against the uh, as the uh, Los Angeles Rams, the defending Super Bowl champions, open up with the Buffalo Bills. Bet online is your continued source for all of your wagering information, including live betting, free contests, and live scores. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports and events, including MLB, MMA, tennis, boxing, and yes, even golf. Head on over to betonline.ag to join and receive your 100% welcome bonus with with your very first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code CLNS50 to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. Back with Ian Brown of RedSox.com and MLB.com. All right, we uh, teased it a little while ago, and I want to get to it now. Tristan Cassis made his major league debut going one for four uh, on Sunday in the 5-2 to two win over the Rangers at Fenway. You were there for that, right, Ian? Yeah. That was an exciting day, Trags. He was he um, sunbathing in the right field lawn. Yeah, you know that this caught a great lot. Story. That, you got to you got to fill us in on on the story behind this. That went viral, man. Um, you just don't see that every day, especially for a kid making his major league debut. You know, we talked to him in the morning when we got there. Clubhouse open. Uh, he talked to us about ten fifteen, ten twenty, and next thing you know, uh, some people are hanging around the dugout, and all of a sudden, there's this guy uh, with no shirt on. Um, in short right field, just kind of um, lay, laying out and soaking in the sun, doing some uh, leg, almost like yoga exercises while he was Planking almost. What's that? Planking almost. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, and people were just like, wow, what, what is this? Uh, so it just shows you this kid's got a little bit different. You know, he's, he's not he afraid to that. show it. Uh, he's not afraid to be himself. But, yeah, that did go viral. And um, Alex Cora said something funny on um, – the WEI uh, pregame show interview that he does with, uh, I can't remember if it was Joe or Will Fleming he was on with yesterday, but he said, uh, and they asked him about the sunbathing routine, and, and of course, said, yeah, we're going to make some adjustments on that. So, uh, you know, so I think maybe the adjustment will include uh, him having a shirt on. Yeah, um, I would think so. I, yeah, it, yeah, but it was, it was pretty funny, though. It was pretty funny. Uh, but I'll tell you what. Go ahead. Once he got out there, the thing that stuck out to me he was tested right away on defense, and he made uh, two good plays in the first inning. And for a kid who, you know, he's jittery there, making his major league debut uh, to make those plays. And then in the third inning, he caught a hot shot, uh, a one-hop hop, hot shot that was not an easy play. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's looked good on defense because we just hear about this guy hitting. Uh, he, he's a baseball player, it looks like. And, uh, you know, he's a big guy. Um, at the plate so far, um, you know, we haven't, he hasn't settled in yet. I mean, it takes a while for these guys. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he's, he's been a good hitter at every level. He really studies his hitting. He's kind of like a J.D. Martinez and how much he um, studies the craft of hitting. Yep. Um, and he's a guy who should really use Fenway, man. He, he's a beast drag. You'll be shocked the first time you see him in person um, where he says, Hey, I have the power to go to right field of this park. And I can also uh, play volleyball basically with that wall in left field. So left-handed hitters who have power 
and can go the other way. Those are always the best hitters at Fenway. So really curious to see if he kind of will live up to the hype here because we've seen a million of these prospects who have come up and, uh, you know, they haven't quite, we've seen it in the last few years, haven't quite lived up to the hype. But this guy was a first-round pick. Um, he's always been a good hitter. So, you know, I think that he will, to me, he's the best prospect they've called up since Rafael Devers in, in 2017. So whether he's going to turn into Rafael Devers, that's a lot of pressure to put on anyone. But I think, you know, who, you'll like this, tracks. You know who uh, Tristan Cassis' hero is? is Joey Votto. That's the guy he's kind of modeled his whole um, hitting approach after. So Alex Cora likes these kind of guys. Um, he doesn't like the feast or famine, new age slugger. He likes the guys who can put the bat on the ball and um, go to all fields, hit the gaps. And that's the kind of guy Cassis, even though you look at him and he's 6'5 and 250, you're like, oh, this guy must be a 50 home run hitter. Um, that's not really him. He's more, I think, going to be like maybe a 25 to 30 home run hitter, they hope, um, in his prime, but hitting maybe close to 300 and driving in uh, 100 and hitting a bunch of doubles. So I think that uh, it's going to be fun to watch him develop. So Joey Votto is not a fan of the three sure results in baseball that we yeah. heard so much about, you know, walk, strikeout, or home run. Yeah, I mean, the Red Sox do like the walk, and um, Cassis, does have a, uh, Cassis does have a pretty good um, batting eye, but I think just the ability to, to put the ball in play. Alex Cora said one of the things that the AAA manager, Chad Tracy, told him was that, you know, you got a man on third and less than uh, – two outs he's going to either hit a ground ball to the right side and get this guy in or hit a sack fly like he's just a good um, situational baseball player so um we don't have enough of that in 22 22 baseball so a lot of red sox fans watching this and listening to this are wondering okay in the last 12 months we've seen bobby dahlbeck we've seen jaron duran we've seen jeter downs Right. You do get the sense that this position player is going to be different. I do just because he has that, you know, you've seen these guys come up, whether it's Pedroia um, or Bogart, some of these guys just come up and you can just sort of feel their confidence in themselves. Like, Hey, I, I belong at this level, you know, and you didn't right. feel that as much with, with Duran. Um, you didn't feel that with Jeter Downs. Um, you felt it a little bit with Dahlbeck just because he was kind of a confident kid but he just can't figure out how to put the, the bat on the ball. Um, but this guy, Casas, um, first round pick, you know, he just seems to have the pedigree. I mean, he's been, he knows Eric Hosmer. They went to the same high school. Um, so that he's, uh, Eric's been a mentor to him. So it's kind of fitting they're on, on the same team now. And I just think that uh, this guy, he works so hard and he's so obsessive about his hitting and he's just such a big, strong guy. Um, and he, like I said, he's not, he doesn't have a big hole in the swing like Dahlbeck did. Um, it's really hard to hit against today's MLB pitchers. There's so many guys with high velocity. Um, but I think that Cassis, uh, I think he has what it takes up here. You know, you, you never know until you see how it plays up. But that's why I think that this month tracks is ideal for him because you remember Dustin Pedroia. Yes. Uh, 2006, they brought him up uh, to the end of the to the end of the season that year. It was a non-contending season like this one, and I think that helped him. Even though he got off to a slow start in 07, also I think just the exposure to major league pitching that helps him kind of going into next year. So I think these next few weeks are going to be really uh, beneficial, Tristan Casas, just for him to see what the routine is at the major leagues, um, just to see uh, what it takes to succeed up here. 
your colleague uh, Sam Dykstra with MLB.com and, and MILB.com uh, had a, a terrific piece on what to expect from Tristan Cassis. And I want to bring this paragraph up because I think you can add some uh context to it, Ian. Cassis missed almost two months with a right ankle injury in the middle of the season since returning to AAA Worcester on July 22nd. He slashed 296, 404, and 505 with five homers over 36 games be before receiving the uh, call this past weekend. The left-hander slugger had slashed 248, 359, 457, and 36 games through the first uh, months of the season prior to the injury, signaling just how much he had adjusted AAA pitching over the second half of the campaign. Your thoughts? Yeah, I just think he was getting used to the level, and you're probably going to see the same thing at the major leagues. It might take him a little while to really um, get to be the, the player that uh, he's going to eventually be, but it shows that he can make adjustments. He can learn. And sometimes I was talking to Trevor story about this yesterday, but sometimes when you go down with an injury, man, it helps you reset a little bit. It helps you really um, think about what, what you need to do to get better, what you need to do um, to adjust. And I think that you saw that uh, with Tristan, um, the high ankle sprain, it was too bad because they were really, I think, counting on calling this guy up probably in July, July, right this year and that got pushed back a couple months to September because he missed he missed the two months with that high ankle sprain he's a, a big uh, lumbering body here um, so I wonder um, you know what they might do with him conditioning wise in the offseason too if they want him to maybe uh, shed a little bit of weight because that that's a big body uh, to be uh, carrying around all the time but also you don't want to take away his power either. So it's kind of a slippery slope, but I think he'll make some adjustments with, with the training staff. So maybe uh, a, a high ankle sprain won't be a two month injury next year is what I'm saying. I think he's got to strengthen his, his whole core. Want to move on to one picture that has received a lot of attention, a young picture, Brian Bayo, what you think mm -hmm. his future is with the Red Sox. I mean, it's obviously right now with the Red Sox. Um, what can he give the team going forward, especially next year? Yeah, I'm impressed with this kid drags him because um, they really called him up earlier than when he was ready. Um, it's just because this team has been so uh, had been so decimated by injuries to the starting rotation. So at one point they really had no choice, but to bring him up uh, in the middle of the season. And he got knocked around a little bit as young pitchers are going to do as they learn how to pitch up here, but he really makes adjustments. Um, and he's, he's done that. He's seemed like he gets better each time out He's got a, this 96 mile an hour sinker and he's got a, a change up and he's just got a, a big arsenal pitches. And he's another guy who kind of really does uh, think he belongs here. He's, he's very, uh, he's very competent. Alex Gore told a funny story in spring training about when they sent him down. Um, they would sneak over to the uh, major league uh, breakfast buffet and sort of sneak back over to the minor league side uh, with a little kind of like, you know, I'm a big kind of like, I feel like I'm a big league. I don't feel like I need to eat the minor league uh, breakfast. So that was, it was just kind of funny. It wasn't like um, it didn't put, it wasn't off-putting. It was just kind of this funny thing that he did, but it's, it shows that he's very confident in himself. And even on days he's been knocked around, I haven't seen this, you know, how some kids get very Mope. sort of down on themselves. Uh, I haven't seen that with him once. I've just, you know, he knows this is all part of, uh, the learning experience for him. And I think that uh, this has been very beneficial and having him start every fifth day for the next month, uh, it's going to be as big for them as, as, as Tristan Casas uh, playing every day. And I think that you're really sort of building up uh, the future of the Red Sox here a little bit. 
All right. I want to wrap up with uh, news, and that is the uh, extension, the one-year extension, $10 million uh, that was announced on Wednesday. Uh, I'm sorry, on Tuesday morning uh, for 2023 for Kike Hernandez, the value he's brought to the team and and what he has had to endure this year. And uh, I know you wrote about it uh, here on uh, Tuesday. The, the draining of that uh, hematoma from his abdomen sounds like one of the most painful things yeah. any athlete could ever go through and and understand he did not he was not put under for that right yeah he's like i yeah. mean <laughs> that quote was hilarious he said oh the doctor says that we usually put people people under this uh and he said oh that's usually something you tell somebody before they do it uh instead of uh after but yeah i mean this guy is uh dealt with nobody knew about this thing until uh months after it happened they just said that he was out with a hip injury we were all confused about why it was taking him so long to come back so that explained it. But um, I think this is a good contract for both sides. The Red Sox are basically investing in the fact that they think he's going to get healthy and that they think that he's going to sort of get back to the player he was in 2021. And it's a one-year deal, $10 million. Um, his last contract was 2 at 14. So for Kike, it gives him a little chance to sort of um, – to build his value back up as he goes into free agency again next year. So I think it's, it's something that should work. The Red Sox are going to get a motivated player here and uh Kike is going to, you know, be paid pretty well, even after a down, a really down year, both from an injury standpoint and from a production standpoint. So I think that it was a good idea to sort of for high bloom in the front office to sort of make this deal. Because one thing, uh, even though the numbers don't look great, Man, playing defense and uh, and center field at Fenway Park is so important. It's a tough uh, center field to play, and we saw with Jaron Duran. Yeah, exactly. And we saw with with Bradley for years. And you make a great point about um, Duran and Kike. Just he's excellent out there, man. I mean, nobody's ever going to be as good as Bradley was out there, probably. But he's pretty close. Last year he was pretty close, and it's just center field defense is so important. Um, especially in that ballpark. So they they show the value they're putting on it by um, signing him to, to to a deal for $10 million. You know, it's like a lot of people were very confused about why they were willing to pay Jackie Bradley Jr. Um, $11 million or whatever it was this year. It's because they valued his defense in right field that much. And he just got to the point where he just couldn't hit enough to, to justify it anymore. But, um, you know, defense, you know, outfield defense, extremely important. It can make a pitching staff uh, look good. And uh, I like this deal. I, I think it's a, it was a smart move uh, by both sides to sort of take this one-year $10 million deal and then see where they are. It gives Kike another chance to sort of prove himself in 2023 and then see uh, where they are coming after that. Um, and I'm going to ask you, wrap up with this, Ian. Um, your thoughts on the Ken Rosenthal piece with Sam Kennedy and the kind of a vote of confidence, essentially, what he gave um, not only Alex Cora, the manager, but Hein Bloom, the uh, vice president of baseball operations, what you thought of that and why it was significant for Sam Kennedy to come forward with Rosenthal. Yeah, I just think that, you know how Boston is, Trags? I mean, this might, probably wouldn't have I been do. in Cincinnati or Kansas City or somewhere like that, but you were starting to hear rumblings like, oh, is um, – you know, is Hein Bloom is is he okay? Is his job status okay? Because I mean, they fired D Dave Dombrowski less than a year after he won the World Series. Yes. So it shows you that these owners um, they take this stuff really seriously. And Alex Cora, it's like, oh, is Alex Cora happy here now? And it's just kind of um, 
it was just kind of, I think he was just wanted to get this out before the rumor started to percolate down the stretch. Like, Oh, are these guys safe? Are they, you know, are they going to um, get rid of one of these guys or the other? It was just Sam Kennedy saying, Hey, look, we're, um, yeah, we're confident in both of these guys. And but you, you know, you never know how these motive confidences go because yeah. I remember in, in 2015, John Henry having a press conference in that back room of the press box at Fenway Park. This was back when John Henry spoke to the media back in those days. And he said that uh, you know, John Farrell and and Ben Sherrington are gonna be uh are gonna be here for a long time. And Farrell was around for a couple more years, but Sherrington didn't even last that season. So sometimes you just have to calm the media. I mean, I do think Bloom will be back next year. I think that um, he better uh, put together a good team next year, though, because, you know, this is going to be um, this is going to be two last place finishes for him in three years. And he, he can't do that three times in four years. He's got to have another good year next year. I think that they're going to give him another chance to kind of show that his vision is going to work here. So I do think both guys will be back. Alex Gore, you, I, I don't really put any of the season on Alex Cora, he just too many injuries, too many flaws on the roster. He he did the best he could, you know, quite honestly, uh, with it with a tough roster. So with Alex, it's just a matter of you know how long does he want to be here? Because he's he said that he's not going to be, um, you know, one of those guys who's Bobby Cox who's been managing into you know late in his career. But he does have a daughter who's uh, got uh, you know a couple more. She's not even halfway through her time at BC yet, so I'm sure that he's going to want to manage this team. Uh, as long as she's going to Boston College, at least. You're going to get a tan? You're going to be um, Tristan Cassis and work on that tan? On the I don't think so, Trag. It's a little hot for me out here in uh, in Tampa. We were out, uh, me and your friend uh, Bradfoe and a couple yeah. other people, uh, Jen McCaffrey, we were out on the pier last night having a nice dinner with the 4 o'clock game. And even at that time of night, Trag, I'm talking 9 o'clock at night, it was steaming. It was just like the humidity is just like uh, unbearable. I don't know how people uh, live around here in the summer. So I think I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna save the tan. I'll leave that to uh, to Tristan and <laughs> see how they go. Bronzing, uh, as some people call it. Um, by the way, I, I I lied. This that one would not be the last thing. I wanted to ask you about the captain and if you saw it and saw all the episodes and Jen McCaffrey was in one actually toward the very, I know I texted her on that. I'm like, Hey, there you are. It was uh, during when Jeter was uh, the owner of the Marlins, but um, yes, that's right. When, when he held a, a scrum press conference, what did you think of that? And because it took, look, we both covered the Red Sox back, yeah. you know, in 03 and 04. I'll never forget going up to you when Pedro went yes. out for the eighth inning and I'm saying you were like this is a huge mistake <laughs> huge mistake and Grady's going to get fired because of this and I and I remember feeling that way I incredibly strongly and obviously you know five outs away came came back to haunt them and then we know what happened in 04 but I I thought you know like the man in the arena uh you know chronicling Tom Brady I thought the the Jeter documentary was well done yeah, it was really well produced. And like, I got to know um, Jeter a little better during this thing. Um, some people are a little critical of it because it's like, you know, nothing's going to compare to the Jordan rule. The Was it the Jordan rules? Is that no, the last dance? Sorry. That was, oh, the last dance. Right. Nothing's going to compare to the last dance. I mean, that thing was just unbelievable because of who Michael Jordan is, how uh, honest he is about everything. Um, Brady and Jeter are a little different. They're both a little more protective of their image. And I thought, but I thought those two documentaries were uh, excellent as well but i really enjoyed the jeter thing especially the whole arc of his relationship with a rod 
Um, and just like how much um, losing bothers this guy. And it's just like you got um, the Dave Roberts steal and, you know, and they're, they're talking to the cheaters like, uh, can we move on? He's like, I don't want to talk about this. Right. So it genuinely that, bothers him. Yeah. Like those losses still bother him. Like the loss in Arizona, the loss to the Red Sox. He mentioned the loss to the Marlins in the World Series. I mean, uh, that stuff still bothers him to this day. So just the competitive fire he had, it just uh, kind of the stubbornness and just the, the you know, how much he wanted to be the shortstop and only the shortstop. And I thought it all came across really well um, in the documentary. I really enjoyed watching. And I agree with you, kind of like for both of us, it brought back memories of kind of a golden age of um, baseball that we were sort of, uh, fortunate to cover and it's not quite the same right now with the, especially with the Red Sox Yankees rivalry you haven't seen it like that since then it was such a great time every game tracks felt like a heavyweight fight um, we remember it well even the regular season games and uh, such a great time in our lives uh, to cover that so just uh, kind of reliving them hearing the voices and hearing um, Jeter talk about all that stuff uh, you know I, I really enjoyed uh, every episode of that well, I want to make sure you hydrate, um, stay out of the sun, don't overdo it down in St. Pete, and uh, keep doing an amazing job covering the Boston Red Sox. That is Ian Brown. You can follow him on Twitter, at Ian M. Brown, E at the end, all one word. Obviously, follow him on RedSox.com and MLB.com. Uh, Ian, a pleasure as always. Thank you, my friend. Yeah, enjoy the tracks. Thanks a bunch. All right, he is Ian Brown. I'm Mike Petralia Trags. Thank, thanks for downloading this episode of the Red Sox Beat, powered by the CLNS Media Network and our exclusive online gaming partner, betonline.ag. Talk to you next time.